Hi, I'm Wendy, and I sometimes like to reread things. <laughs> yeah, I'm Brandon, and I like to reread things, and sometimes I enjoy it. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, we like to hang out and talk about books. In this case, it's just stuff that we're rereading and figuring out if we still like it and why we may have liked it in the first case. Yep, and sometimes we make sense, and sometimes we don't. In this episode, we discuss The Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman. Uh, we always discuss pretty much everything we can, so if you don't want to be spoiled, you should read ahead of time. Okay, I will open it up and ask you, when was the last time you read this book? The last time I read this was probably uh, 2014, 2015, something like that. I got it. I can remember getting it, you know, the day it came out. Big Neil Gaiman fan. And just absolutely devouring it. And then going back to it. So it's been several years since I have read it. How about you? Can't pinpoint it exactly. I've, I'm going to guess it was about 2015, 2016. Like Neil Gaiman, but I'm not a, an instant buy, so. Well, I don't know if I am... I I definitely am not anymore either. I was looking, and his most recent book is the Norse Mythology book. And that's been out for five years, and I have not bought that. But it doesn't really feel like his own thing, right? So maybe we're way ahead of where we want to talk. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. I've been... This book has been sort of a challenge for me, and I... I enjoyed it. Like, I liked the book. But it started to get me to think about, like, my relationship, I guess, with, like, Neil Gaiman's work. Mm -hmm. And there's something about it that when I read it, I enjoy it. And then it just, like, filters out of my consciousness like water. Like, it just does not stick with me. And so I guess that's the main thing that that I've been thinking about. After having reread this with very little memory, I'm like, oh, I know I've read this before. Didn't yeah, I've been a fan for a long time. Like, uh, I started on Sandman when I was in high school, and I still love that. You know, I, I read it every now and then, and I remember like a lot of that stuff. And I read American Gods when that came out, and Nancy Boys, and the Graveyard Book, and then this. I could not remember much about this. I, once I started reading it, I remembered, okay, I think at the end, Letty has to do something to sacrifice herself. But I didn't remember too many particulars, other than it feels like it's autobiographical, which I guess it, in part it is. But like, if you were to ask me the plot of the Graveyard book, I'd have a rough time. American Gods, I can remember that one. I know what happens in that. But I also know that I like the Graveyard book. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if I've ever reread it since it came out. Yeah. I can't remember if I've read it or not. Uh, I know that, I mean, I've read American Gods, uh, and I remember pieces of it, but again, it's like the experience of it. It's a weird deal where I was, the only time I've ever been on a cruise is when I read this book. There was a library on board, I was charmed by that. I went through the stacks and said, oh, look, you know, here's, I've got plenty of time at sea. Let's see, and I picked it up, and I had a great time reading it. But it's tied to that like exterior experience. Uh, I know I read Coraline. Uh, didn't I mean, there was some cool like creepy parts? Don't remember much of that. 
I it's been so long right since I've read Sandman, uh, which I remember really digging, uh, and meant to go back, never reread it. Uh, but again, some super cool parts, and I did. I read. What was the one you mentioned? The one you wrote with Terry Pratchett. Oh, Good Omens. Yeah, I, I didn't like mention it. that. But yeah, I, I, there are several of his things that I'm not a big fan of. Good Omens. Oh boy, I run hot and cold on Terry Pratchett. So, you know, that's rough. Um, Neverwhere. I had a very fun discussion with, uh, I think it was Jeff Seymour once, who mm-hmm. just loves that <laughs> book to death. And did not understand my opinion on it. So yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know what it is about Gaiman that I think like there's some people that clearly I will trash without like a second <laughs> thought. And, and I mean he can absorb whatever tiny amount of damage I throw it. Sure. You know, so it's not He's like, not gonna care what we say. <laughs> exactly. He will right? never hear this. Yeah. It's not like, you know, yeah, he'll be fine. But there's something weird about it. And maybe it's because I admire it to a point. Like, there's always, like, there's some enjoyment, so I can't really go on. But I often feel, like, like I'm, I, don't, I don't even know how to describe it. And that's what I'm really struggling with. Because it's not like I feel cheated. I don't feel tricked. I don't feel, but it's, maybe it's like eating cheese puffs. Where you're like, oh, that's good. <laughs> but then, you know, it's like, I've just consumed, like, air. And so I don't. Well. I kind of get that with this book because it it more hints at a larger cosmos of cool shit than what you actually get here. And I, I tried really hard to find this. There, I know, at least I hope I'm not making this up, I really think that I read an interview with him around the time that this came out where he talked about how this and the graveyard book were in the same universe and they were kind of like his hobbits for this massive Lord of the Rings he's been working on. So, boy, I really hope I did not make that up. But I, I have always believed that since I read it, I think, and I've been waiting to get that Lord of the Rings to where we find out what all of these things are. The carrion birds and the hipstocks themselves and everything from everywhere and outside and the ocean and I want, to know, I want to know all of that stuff because I think it's all so cool, but it's all filtered through the perspective of someone who has no idea what's going on in this book. Yeah, yeah, I, totally. And I think that that it creates such a weird reading experience. Uh, so I think that choosing the child is cool. Then you also have, of course, like the other layer, which is the adult coming back. And I know it has things to say about memory and childhood but I guess I didn't like the adult I, I don't know I, man, so I, it's going to be another one of these where I'm, I know I'm just going to kind of funkle through things but I mean like Letty and the Amazon so cool loved loved a lot of it and I think it was just because it feels like myth or fairy tale and that's awesome to a point yeah I I had an interesting reading experience with this this time because it has been several years and I guarantee I did not think about this the first couple times I read it but even the hemp stocks treat this kid like shit. 
where they blame him for everything that is going on. And yes, he let go of Letty's hand, and that is what allowed this to start, you know, or to to grow into what it became. But he's a seven-year-old boy, and the idea that they keep pulling him back to this farm to make him relive this and just to see how, I don't know, it's to see how he's doing or to, to see what he's going to feel when he relives it. I mean, he's a mortal and he has at worst inconvenienced an immortal being, right? I mean, it, it that feels very much like mythology where they're just out to get this guy because he did something they don't like. Yeah. And that was, it was brutal. And it really was. Cause you know, how sometimes like in those stories, there's that clear, like I told you not to do this. And then you get the, like, I know better or they're, they're tricked or they're trapped. Well, in the scene there, yeah. Like I don't blame the kid for a second for, <laughs> like he doesn't know what's going on. And it's, it felt like, I think, I don't remember the specific wording, but it sounded like reflex. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you do with that? And I know it's not a, it's not a morality tale, and yet there's enough pieces, right? Like, that it starts to feel like that. And I think, like, when it first manifests as um, money, you know, I understand later they're kind of saying, well, you know, this entity, like, wants to give people what they want, and it's tied with the opal miner. And I think I remember this bugging me the first time I read it. Uh, and this time, I, I was just really trying to maybe, like, unravel it a little bit. And I'm just wondering if it's one of those things where if you try to do that, it is going to slip out of your grasp. And I don't know that that's a plus or a minus. It might be somewhere, like, really neutral. But I was looking at it going, I know, again, the kid's like, hey, sweet, I I won a lottery that I didn't enter. <laughs> and so he gets to choke on a sixpence for that? <laughs> wow. The world is brutal and unfair. That was, There is some dark stuff in this book happening to this kid. And it, I mean, it's not all supernatural. Certainly some of it is, but you can tell the family life is awful. It made it tough to read through some of this. I mean, and then, I mean, once you do get into the supernatural stuff, the choking on the coin when he's waking up, the almost being drowned by his father in the bathtub. Oh, it, brutal is the word for this. Yeah, that was horrific. Um, so just in terms of... I like horror. <laughs> and so, you know, if I look at parts of it, and I know this is not a horror book, but... I mean, there's horrific stuff in here. Yeah, facts. So, like, that emotional kind of thing of, like, the father trying to it, drown his son and that there didn't ever seem to be... Like, I know that there's magic involved in things, but there's to be, like, no acknowledgement, no warmth, no nothing. He's engaged in this weird affair with this... With this woman creature uh, so there's that part of it so emotionally like what wreckage so I thought that was super well done you like it but, but really really well done <laughs> and then in terms of body horror the pulling like of the the worm creature oh. out of his foot <laughs> was one of the roughest things I have read and I I can only imagine that my mind blanked that out because 
I had that, but I can't decide how much of it was. If a kid says, oh, I've been in this like weird supernatural space and you know, I felt this pain in my foot and oh, look, there's a little hole, you know it's bad. Right. And so I was feeling dread, but I don't, I don't feel like it was informed dread. You know, <laughs> like it wasn't like there was no point in this where I was like, oh, I remember this. So I don't know, it must have messed me up good. So I guess on the one hand, applause. On the other, <laughs> well, how did I squirm? Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah, I do have an. I do have a note about that. Uh, this whole worm thing is so gross. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it was. It reminded me more of Clive Barker than Neil Gaiman. That is such a good connection. I know Neil's a fan. I, I read this Clive Barker story once. I can't remember the name. It's something like in the hills in the town, something like that. It's a real fucked up story, uh, as you would expect from Clive Barker. And, and I've got a note here that, that Neil is a fan of him, and it that scene in particular reminded me. This is a weird aside while you while you look through that. I think Clive Barker is a lot like Gaiman for me, where I can read it. So I don't, there must be a style thing mm-hmm. that just for some reason I can enjoy in the moment, but it it just doesn't stick. And I think the Clive Barker there's only I I kind of vaguely remember reading the Great and Secret Show and thinking that that was pretty cool. And then there's <laughs> but I mean I don't know that was when I was in high school I have no idea and then the other one is like I think there's a story I hope I'm not making this up where a guy like fucks a building or something <laughs> it's really brutal and weird and I'm sorry that's the only takeaway that and I don't like Hellraiser so. yeah I also remember loving the Great and Secret show and I remember reading the second one and uh, I've been waiting on volume three for, what, 25 years now to finish the series out. So, you know, I, Clive doesn't care what we think of him either, yep. but it's not positive on this side of the table. No, no. So, I don't, yeah, so I was sort of like, oh, I remember that. Am I going to look up whether or not he wrote that story? No. <laughs> <laughs> just like, in my head canon, that is what it was, and it was weird enough or something to to kind of stick in there but um and so I guess there's a if I navel gaze long enough maybe I think about like what is it about like these kinds of stories or the style that they may share and so I don't and then maybe it is that kind of like mythic register maybe that's what it is really I don't have much, much patience for that <laughs> <laughs> well I think it goes back to there being just I mean this being such a small book and they're they're being just hints at this huge thing that you don't get to find out a lot about. So it felt like there were, like it drifted along, and then there would be, like, something would happen. And it's not like one of those stories where, you know, I'm rolling my eyes and thinking, oh my goodness, like, would something please happen? I didn't, I didn't feel that. I think part of that might be, um, like, the prose style. Mm-hmm. This could be interesting. So... I mean, are there pieces that, like, I mean, I, that you remember from this read that stood out, like, in particular as being, like, cool or frustrating or... The thing that really stands out the most to me is that scene with the father in the bathroom. That is just, that's terrible. One of the things that I kept getting through this is that I, I think it really only works because the narrator is a child. And I think it works really well because... 
everyone has been a child and has been put into a situation where they have no control over things and maybe they've been put in a situation where a bad person has been put in control of them. Because there's a, I've got a note here about just how incredibly creepy it is to have an adult tell a child not to say anything because they'll know if they tell anyone. I mean, that is, that is just fucked up abuser language right there. And you read these things to have emotionally response, to have emotional response. But that could, I mean, I'm like, I don't know, manipulative? Maybe. It's tough. I know a lot of fairy tales you know, are either specifically like about bad parents or bad parenting just kind of opens up, right, like children to vulnerable situations. From the get-go, they were awful. Uh, but I still don't know that I was prepared, I think, for like the bathtub drowning scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not saying that it doesn't have a place in the book. I just, you know, so I, and maybe it's just you follow along. Maybe it was a bad thing on my part where I was like, oh, okay. So it's like benign neglect in the beginning. But you know, just the fact that they pretty casually displaced that kid from that room. And I know for the longest time, right, it would be the, you really loved the, the little yellow sink or something that was mm-hmm. just his size. Uh, and so was it economics? Was that the, the catalyst for this? Or did you get the sense that it was before then? I mean, it, it felt more like, it felt more like the parents just didn't care that much. I don't know, maybe it's, I don't know, maybe generational or maybe, you know, English generational, I don't know. But certainly there's maybe a stereotype of parents in the 40s, 50s, 60s not giving as much of a shit about their kids. And like to a greater degree than just allowing them to go off and be kids and not be, you know, helicopter parents. And and I guess there are certainly parents like that. So it felt like that, yeah. Yeah, there's I just kept trying to to tease that thread and I thought that it was it was interesting. And maybe it's part of the like as a child he probably doesn't necessarily understand like why this distance is occurring. Oh yeah. There are things that one of the one of the notes I took is about the ways that he's believable as a kid. Like the thing with the toast where that you know, he wants his toast to be normal and come out of a toaster and his dad always eats the burnt toast. Well, you can't waste food and he does not understand that so I thought that was very believable yeah that was a that was a cool detail I think because you know part of it is that you know probably that drive for normalcy but later on I think when he's um, so food I think like plays a really cool role in the in the story right because there's like there's, there's the burnt toast uh, and you know every time you know, like, <laughs> of course scene you know where he's like oh, yeah I want toast just not burnt toast and then of course Dad gets distracted. The toast gets burnt. He's carrying it. And then they go to the suicide in the car. Wow. What a scene. (laughs) And then uh, we can return to that. But then, you know, like at uh, the farm, right, it's uh, the food descriptions, Mm -hmm. right? Like everything just seems so wonderful right like from the was the, i don't know if it was the toast time but it was the the oatmeal with the plum jam and the like just this natural kind of wholesome uh you know creative thing and i think that they made toast and he said they made it in the same way but of course they didn't 
portrait. But, um, so I, I liked those those contrasts, and I thought that you know, I guess you can lots of fairy tales do that thing with you know like food and fellowship and yeah, but it kind of gives you at least it gives me an undercurrent of they're making this guy remember that the best times he had were at their house, which he no longer remembers. <laughs> right. And that is pretty funny. I don't think they care for him either. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know what's going on with that. Uh, I mean, I think part of it is there, there maybe was an implication, perhaps, that his heart had not come all the way back. Mm-hmm. So... Is it, but, but I think they did frame it right as like essentially they wanted to find out if it was worth sacri- if you were worth sacrificing for, and that's that's not <laughs> it is not. To go back to your question a while back, there's not a whole lot that stands out to me. It it is a short book. It's a very fast read. I could. I could describe the plot and go through several different scenes, but there's not a whole lot where I'm going, oh, that is so cool. I love that. I took a note about, again, these hints of just this whole universe that's out there. Oh, the, and this was towards the end of the book when the boy figures out or it has some understanding of what the ocean is and... He understands everything in the entire universe. And it's just a great description. And again, the kid knows everything, but they, you don't give it to the reader. So it, even the things that I like, there's part of me that's like, I want so much more than just what is here. Yeah, there's a, I read a number of like just reviews and reactions. And uh, I think a lot of them said that they didn't like the writing because it felt lazy. Uh, and I feel like that's maybe a little harsh, but there yeah. is something where you can like gloss things over with poetic language, and I don't think you're not asking for like I don't need everything spelled out, right? But it, sometimes it's you know maybe holding on to, to things a little bit more. Um, yeah, I guess sometimes that leaves that open to interpretation, but sometimes it's just sort of sort of frustrating. And um, there's these big emotional moments, but I don't know that we ever get to really sit in them or experience them or, you know, kind of try to, and I, you know. Well, and I think that's a limitation of the boy as narrator and not really understanding what the hemstocks are and being able to know what kind of emotions they're having about things. Because they, I mean, they present as human people to everyone, but clearly they are not. But what is it like for, you know, Mrs. Hemstock and old Mrs. Hemstock when Letty sacrifices herself, right? It, it, it's not really, it's certainly not in the moment, and they're not happy about it, that's clear. But it, you're, you're right, it does not have that emotional punch. Yeah, so still, yeah, I guess like struggling with the with the pieces of it, and maybe I just want to impose logic on a which is hilarious for me. Like, again, not super logical, but just so return again. So you know, he doesn't seem to understand why his see the mom just seemed to be kind of like absent. Absolutely, right? yeah. And then the the dad seemed to be the one, and I know he was the one that like I forget her name, but like the. 
Ursula. Ursula, thank yeah. you. Like gets her hooks into, mm-hmm. um, which see the vulnerability there. <laughs> but it's later on, and I think it's from the adult perspective. Like when he sort of says something about. I made friends with him or something when I was in my 20s or I started talking with him when I was in my 20s and I'm not sure I don't remember if that was when he brought up something about like well my dad wanted a a kid who played sports and drove you know cars fast and I guess a kid more like him which is an insight right that a 7 year old is going to be able to have Right. but also if you retain any memory about that, maybe I'm just a grudge holder. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I really want to bond with my dad, the guy who, you know, metaphorically or literally tried to, to kill me. Yeah, it, it plays fast and loose with what his memories are and what the reality is. I mean, the big one, the, the punch at the end is that he actually died. And Letty had to do something to change it so that that didn't happen. Huh. I really wanted to like this more than I did, I think. It's a shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the thing, I couldn't even really muster up like enough emotion to be... Like, I'm, I'm disappointed. Right? I'm not so mad. I'm disappointed. <laughs> uh, so it wasn't like that strong, you know, kind of reaction. But, I, yeah, I did want to... To like it more, and there are cool things, and there are, but and I mean, luckily, again, it's you're right, it's short, it's not that much of an investment in time. Uh, you know, you can kind of take a look at it. You know, I kept, you know, maybe trying to figure out like sometimes they acted like the fates, mm-hmm. right? Like, sometimes it seemed like there was this, yeah, like that wider universe, which I think, as like a genre reader, you know, kind of trained to do, and then sometimes I was like, is this allegory? I think that if Gaiman had continued to write books, even if it wasn't this big Lord of the Rings thing that he may or may not have talked about, if he had continued to write books in this universe, I would probably not be as mad about this. Just because it would be, you know, you continue to get pieces of it here and there. What are you going to do? Yeah, yeah, that's true. And the other part is, if it isn't, you know, this big mythic universe, then it starts to feel way more self-indulgent or something, which, again, isn't always a bad thing. Sometimes you want to read about someone excavating their own, you know, memories. And, I mean, there was a whole lot of stuff in here about, like, stories and art. And, you know, at some point it's like, well, yeah, I love stories, too, and I can be charmed a little bit, but... Not gonna lie, there were a couple times where I was like, "Oh yes, it is very artistic." <laughs> so you know, again, I don't know if that's the cynicism you know kind of coming out, but there, there was some of that. I tried to look up stuff, you know, just mm-hmm. to see, and I found that. Did you know that this it was made into a play? Yeah, I think I saw that. I tried to look for stuff as well. One of the things that I read was he wasn't sure if it was an adult book or a children's book as he was writing it, which I think is interesting. Certainly once you go the route of uh, your father trying to drown you in the tub, I, I don't think that's in a lot of children's books. Yeah, I think that that, that would be incredibly scary. Right? Like, I mean, and I know that that's the worst kind of understatement, but yeah, and you know, I'd have to go with it because I know like, 
Coraline is the one with the mother with buttons for eyes. I mean, so, like, that kind of, like, uncanniness and, you know, the weird betrayal of parents, like, that's scary, but it still doesn't feel the same, probably because it was it was in that that weird, you know, kind of like I went through the, the door, right? Like, was mm-hmm. kind of an alter- And this felt way more, like, grounded, and I think that could mess a kid up. Um, so, no, I don't think that... I'm not saying sh- kids shouldn't read it. I would not hand this to a kid. <laughs> and so, you know, so it would be one of those, if, if I had a kid, or, you know, maybe they're like, hey, should I read this book? I'd be like, well, I'm here for questions. <laughs> Go do it. But, you know, that just seems pretty, pretty messed up. Um, I think I read something, and I'm not going to resist that he wrote this in part for his wife, who doesn't like fantasy, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, of course she doesn't, and you're good at that. But the the stage play, thing, I'm just gonna. Apparently, this is the time when Wendy just barfs on everything <laughs> because when when I looked up the thing that it was made into a stage play, like on the one hand, like it looked cool from what I could see, like in terms of like they use puppets. I was like, oh, that looks awesome, and. Then I remembered that play that I hated that was staged at Purdue, <laughs> The She Kills Monsters, which is another thing I should have liked. Mm-hmm. I did not like, and I think they exist maybe in that same space. And so I, I don't know like, what it is about that that makes me angry, but yes, it does. But, I mean, clearly it's not, you know, because again, like, right, that was the, I didn't go in there thinking it was like, I want to see D&D. But I also didn't want to see, like, the... I guess that was telegraphed. This one was opaque or something. I don't know. So this is... I'll try to, like, go back to class and think, like, what else do I need? Get them all out there. Then we can submit this episode for Hugo. <laughs> right? Oh, my goodness, yeah. That, that would be what you deserve. Right? <laughs> walk up there and be like... Oops, among you have we not said crappy things about, and then they can all pull out like whatever sad stuff they find <laughs> and say, oh, is it time to trash you now? And I say, yes, sure. <laughs> so I don't know. Oh, it wouldn't be a podcast if we didn't talk about the pets in the book. Mm-hmm. He killed the kitten, yeah. which, you know, again, so... you got to figure that actually happened in the L. Yeah. That's got to be one of the autobiographical details. You'd think so, especially since I think there was somebody committed suicide in a car that was stolen. I believe that was a real thing. Holy cow. Yeah, right? Like, so, sir, I do not blame you for wanting to maybe write that out, but this also, I think, was supposed to be a short story and then grew. A little expansion issue? Yeah, so I think, I think that's it, but... Yeah, the, the kitten thing felt felt really real. Um, I was very happy when the other cat showed up. Mm-hmm. Just gay for cats. <laughs> That's probably like a magic cat from another dimension. It kind of felt like that. I wasn't I wasn't sure how how tied it was to Letty. If that was supposed to was Letty. Letty's the name. Okay, yeah, you got it. All right, I just had flashbacks <laughs> to beautiful things. I don't remember the name of that one character. But, <laughs> wow, this book broke me. What is up with that? Um, and again, I'm sure it probably had a function. Maybe it was symbolic. It's also apparently, yes, manipulate me. Bring the cat in. I'm good. Like, just nice dog. I'm, I'm, 
good. <laughs> I'm not sure what that, you know, what was going on with that. I tried to remember like the other occasions that he had been there, and the only other one that I remember was maybe when he first had kids. Yeah, I I don't remember. I, I remember he, they said he kept coming back. Yeah. And I think they keep bringing him back is, is more to it. Mm-hmm. It kind of felt like like a crappy portal fantasy where the kids go and have a great adventure and then they get their mind wiped. Right. You know? Only this time, they keep reminding the kid of what happened and wiping the memory again. Yeah. Yeah, that <sighs> does seem super crummy. I've always hated those portal <laughs> fantasies. They break my heart every time. They feel so unfair. Uh, and, yeah, so I guess... Oh, no, I hope that's not, like, the ultimate... Like, what did you get out of this book? Life's unfair. <laughs> like, I knew that before, but you said it, I guess, nicely. So, yeah, it didn't take me long to read. Not really mad about it, but I guess I wanted to be enchanted. Yeah, I, I didn't like it as much as I used to. And I, I think... Really, the big part of that for me is just thinking about putting all that blame on a seven-year-old and then taking that to another level. Not just putting that blame on a seven-year-old, but immortal creatures putting that blame on a seven-year-old. Like, uh, sorry, you were inconvenienced. You know, you you get infinity minus a thousand years, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It does seem seem really unfair. So I guess I talked a lot but vaguely about myself and I feel like that was appropriate <laughs> for this book so I'm giving myself a pass there you go um, and I guess we could listen to this podcast later be reminded of our experience <laughs> and sad about it and you can blame us and then we can forget about it and then just return every five years we have to listen to this podcast again <laughs> <laughs>